evidence and answers. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges we face today. Well, we all know of the conflict between the Jews and Palestinians over the land of Palestine. Well, what is the controversy all about? What is the conflict all about? And what are some possible solutions? And who really owns the land? Who has a right to the land? Well, that's what we'll be discussing here on Evidence and Answers. In December of 2016, the United Nations Security Council passed a resolution condemning the Israeli settlements on the West Bank. This was supported by former Secretary of State John Kerry and the former Obama administration. And since then, I have received a lot of requests to do interviews on this topic of what is the UN resolution? What is the conflict all about? Who owns the land between the Israelis and the Palestinians? What is the history and what is this conflict all about? And why is it important for the United States to stand behind or not stand behind Israel? And what is the reason for our shift in attitude in the former administration, the recently former administration, and there appeared change in stance toward the nation of Israel? So in this series, we're going to talk a little bit about the United Nations and their decision. And we're going to give a brief history and overview of the conflict and try to answer the question, who owns the land between the Israeli and Palestinians? And is there a possible solution? And what is the importance of the nation of Israel and the relationship of the United States towards Israel? So we'll be going over a little bit of that in this series here on Evidence and Answers. So to summarize, on December 23rd, of 2016, the United Nations Security Council passed a resolution condemning the Israeli settlements on the West Bank. And this decision was supported by the former Secretary of State John Kerry. Now, what exactly is the resolution made by the United Nations? Well, on December 23rd, the United Nations Security Council passed a resolution condemning the Israeli settlements on the West Bank there in Israel. And there are now about 500,000 Jews living in the West Bank area. Now, this measure was adopted with 14 votes in favor to a round of thunderous applause after the U.S. Ambassador Samantha Power abstained. It is the first resolution the Security Council has adopted on Israel and the Palestinians in nearly eight years. And the United States could have dissolved this resolution by standing behind Israel, but they chose not to. In fact, our UN Ambassador Samantha Powers joined in the condemnation of Israel and the development on the West Bank and called and stated that development on the West Bank would not lead to a peaceful two-state resolution. So the United Nations repeated its long-standing position that all settlements on the land Israel conquered in 1967 are illegal under international law and called for Israel to return to the 1967 boundaries. Now, the U.S. for decades has supported Israel, but this time they abstained from the vote, leaving Israel isolated at the United Nations. And in fact, in a speech later, former Secretary of State John Kerry called for Israel to return to the 1967 borders. Now, the position by the Obama administration has been criticized by the British Prime Minister Theresa May and the new administration under President Trump has also criticized 
the Obama decision here. The new UN ambassador from the United States, David Friedman, supports Israel and the development of the West Bank settlements. So that is a brief overview of the UN resolution condemning the development of the West Bank. Now, what is the territory known as the West Bank there in Israel, and why is it an important area for Israel? Well, the West Bank, just think of it, is in the heart. It's in right in the middle of the country of Israel or Palestine. It's right there in the middle. It's about a 2,000-square-mile area that lies right there in the heart of Israel. So the easiest way to picture this is that this is the territory that is west of the Jordan River. It begins west of the Jordan River on the Jordanian border right there. It's the Jordan River that separates Israel or Palestine from Jordan. So it begins on the west of the Jordan River. Then it goes west from the Jordan River about 20 miles. To the north, it begins about 30 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. And then it stretches down to the northwest area of the Dead Sea. So if you're looking on a map of the nation of Israel, this lies right at the heart of the nation of Israel. Israel often refers to this area by its biblical names, Judea and Samaria. So if you read in the Bible, these territories would be right in the heart of the nation of Israel. And the territory contains some of the most important Jewish historical sites, such as the cities of Hebron, Nablus, Jericho, and Bethlehem, and the city of Jerusalem, especially East Jerusalem, and is regarded as part of the West Bank area by the Arabs. Now, Israel believes it must control the West Bank, at least for now, in order to ensure its own continued security and safety over the long term. Because by dominating the West Bank area, Israel controls areas over the Jordan Rift Valley, which serves as an excellent defensive barrier against invasion and incursion that would be coming against them from the east. If you remember, in several of the wars that were fought, the nations coming in from Jordan would come right across the Rift Valley over there. And if Israel did not have control of the West Bank, that allows them to cross the Jordan without any resistance whatsoever and go right into the hills of Mount Zion and begin their assault on the nation of Israel. So Israel enjoys using that area both as a defensive border with Jordan and as a security barrier separating the roughly 3 million Palestinians living on the Jordan side from the 3 million Palestinians living on the West Bank. The West Bank also allows Israel to control the hills and the highlands that surround Jerusalem on three sides and directly overlook nearly every major Israeli city. The average elevation there of a West Bank hill is about 700 to 1,000 meters above sea level. So to put that in perspective, one World Trade Center, the tallest building in Manhattan, reaches about 540 meters high. So this is very strategic for Israel being able to defend themselves. So managing the West Bank also lets Israel have control over any movement or potential smuggling of weapons between the West Bank Palestinians and the Palestinians living in Jordan and on the other side of the Jordan and with the Palestinians living in the West Bank. Now, this region also happens to be strategically crucial for Israel as it borders Lebanon and overlooks both Haifa, which is Israel's largest port and third largest city, and the Jezreel Valley, 
Israel's route to the Sea of Galilee, and the Golan Heights, which overlooks Syria, which is where the majority of Israeli fresh water is located and which serves as an Israeli border with Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan. And I was just there to observe. And yes, the Golan Heights is strategic for Israel to defend its northern borders. Before that, Syria could come right up to the Golan Heights and many of the farmers who were below the Golan Heights there often had to wear helmets to protect themselves uh, from the bullets that were coming from snipers up there on the Golan Heights. So when Israel took the Golan Heights, that provided a very strategic mountain range from which they could monitor any kind of threat that was coming to them from the north. So for this reason, the West Bank area is critical for the protection of the nation of Israel. Now, in a speech, the UN representative from the United States Secretary Powers and the former Secretary of State John Kerry and former President Obama demanded in their speeches that Israel go back to the 1967 border. Now, what is meant by the 1967 borders? Well, this refers to the borders before the Six-Day War, which began in 1967. What is the Six-Day War? Well, the Six-Day War in 1967, the Muslim nations that surrounded Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, all armed by the Soviet Union, amassed their heavy equipment all around the borders of the nation of Israel. And they amassed their troops there as well. And it looked like at any minute they would strike the nation of Israel. But in a surprise attack, instead, Israel launched the offensive. And in just six days, Israel decimated those armies and extended her borders after her victory. So after that war, it was vastly, vastly outnumbered, like 10 to 1. The Jews were able to launch an offensive. And it was, you know, a lot of military strategists look at this battle and say, you know, this was a miracle in how Israel was able to defend themselves and capture more land as a result. They were able to capture the Gaza Strip. They were able to push all the way down the Sinai Peninsula to the borders of Egypt. They captured the Golan Heights up to the north, and they captured the city of Jerusalem and pushed all the way to the Jordan River. And so for the first time in nearly 2,000 years, the Jews celebrated as they took control of their ancient capital city, the city of Jerusalem. So in that six-day war, Israel captured Jerusalem, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank of the Jordan and the Golan Heights. And so what Secretary Kerry and former President Obama and others in the previous administration want Israel to do is to give up those borders, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and to go back to the border, surrender that territory and go back to the borders that they had before the 1967 Six-Day War. So remember how Israel was able to capture that land. They weren't aggressively seeking that land. They were attacked. They were attacked, and in defending themselves, they took that territory, which they now hold and see as necessary in order to secure their borders and defend themselves from any further attacks. Now, it appears that Israel does seek a, is willing 
to negotiate with the Palestinians here. In 2005, at that time, Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, former Prime Minister of Egypt, gave up the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is the area along the Mediterranean Sea, along the Egyptian border. Right? They gave up the Gaza Strip in a compromise with the Palestinians who want the Gaza Strip and the entire West Bank back. Prime Minister Ariel Sharon gave up the Gaza Strip, and it is under Palestinian control today. But instead of bringing peace, it is now occupied by the terrorist group Hamas. And Hamas exists for one purpose, the destruction of Israel. They have not recognized Israel's right to exist. And the Gaza Strip now is an area where Hamas has entrenched themselves and uses that area to launch attacks against the nation of Israel. If you remember in recent skirmishes, it is from Gaza that missiles are being fired into the nation of Israel. So in surrendering some of the land, we can kind of understand why Israel is reluctant to go back to its pre-1967 borders. Because they say if, if they do, indeed it will not allow Israel to be able to protect and defend herself against groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, and the PLO, and other groups that are out there seeking the destruction of Israel. Now, many are proposing a two-state solution between the Jews and the Palestinians, that we would have two independent states here living in the land of Palestine side by side, the Jews and the Palestinians in two independent states. That is what the former administration was demanding of the nation of Israel, and that is what the United Nations is demanding of Israel what is called a two-state solution. Two independent nations living together there in the land of Palestine. Well, why is this not working? Well, it's quite simple. Many of the Middle Eastern Muslim nations refuse to acknowledge the right of Israel to exist. The borders they want for Israel are in the Mediterranean Ocean. They do not want Israel in the land. So it's hard to negotiate a peaceful two-state settlement when you're dealing with one side that does not acknowledge the right of the other side to even exist. The Khartoum Resolution passed in 1967 after the Six-Day War, signed by the Arab nations, many of who were involved in the Six-Day War, passed the famous Khartoum Resolution, or the Three No's Resolution, N-O. And it stated, no peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. So when you're dealing with nations like that, with that kind of resolve, it's very, very difficult to come up with a two-state peaceful resolution. Since then, I think Egypt and Jordan have acknowledged Israel's right to exist. But the other nations and the groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, and those organizations that are in those countries have not acknowledged the right of Israel to exist. So with radical groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, and the PLO bent on the destruction of Israel, it's very difficult to see a two-state solution come to pass. And groups like Hamas have a stronghold and leadership in the Palestinian government. When you have a group like Hamas there, their only existence, if you go on their website and read their mission statement, they solely exist for the destruction of Israel in the leadership of the Palestinian government. It's very difficult to think you can come up with a two-state solution. So the goal of these nations and 
these radical groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, PLO, and, and many of the others, their goal is not a two-state nation, but the, the complete destruction of the nation of Israel. And at this point, the two sides are not talking to one another. President Netanyahu of Israel wants a face-to-face meeting with the Palestinian president Mahmoud Abbas. But Abbas refuses to meet and still holds his position that Israel does not have the right to exist. So a fully independent Palestinian state, although ideal, is not possible at this time. Here's a couple more reasons why a fully independent Palestine may not be possible at this time. The Palestinians are actually a mix of several different Arab groups from Egypt, southern Syria, Jordan, and other nations. So it could become like another Lebanon with internal factions fighting one another in a quest for power. So a democratic Palestine is unlikely. Most likely, it will be a kind of a totalitarian regime. You know, Arafat ruled with an iron fist, and now Abbas rules with that same kind of iron fist. So with all those internal factions and fighting going on within, it could probably just spill over as it has in the nation of Lebanon there. So it's highly unlikely we could have a free and democratic Palestine, and they haven't shown the ability if they're even trying to control these terrorist groups that continue to assault the nation of Israel. Second, the Palestinian Authority with whom Israel has been negotiating has used terrorism to pressure the nation of Israel. Palestinian leaders have not shown the ability to control or stand against such terrorist actions. In fact, I don't recall them speaking out strongly against terrorist activity and controlling or even standing up against groups like Hamas. In fact, Hamas has been welcomed into their government leadership positions. So an independent Palestine would pose a threat to the security of Israel. So a Palestinian state would not be the buffer zone against the attacks from radical Islamic groups. Rather, it would be the spearhead to launch further attacks into the nation of Israel. So going back to the 1967 borders where you give up these key defensive positions would weaken the ability of Israel to defend itself against such groups. Now on several of the live call and talk shows that I've been a part of, uh, there were a few phone calls saying that, well, maybe Palestine is hostile towards Israel because Israel seeks the complete destruction and eradication of the Palestinians. Well, my response to that was, you know, having uh, visited Israel several times, one thing you'll notice that there are over 2 million Palestinians that live in the nation of Israel. They're allowed to work, they're allowed to vote, and even hold positions in the Knesset, in the Israeli parliament. And there are some even in the Israeli military. So it appears that Israel is being reasonable and willing to negotiate, and they're not seeing the complete destruction of the Palestinians. However, on the other side, how many Jews live in Palestine? How many work and have shops and businesses in Palestine? How many hold positions in the Palestinian government? How many Jews hold positions in the Palestinian government there? None. Zero. 
There are no Jews that live in the Palestine area. And so it appears to be one-sided. One side seeks the complete destruction of the other. And so it doesn't seem possible to have a two-state solution there. So when nations like the United States and others seem to lecture Israel on having a two-state solution, it appears they don't fully comprehend and understand the situation there that's been going on for decades there in the nation of Israel. As long as you have the Palestinians and their supporting countries who will not acknowledge the right for Israel to exist, it is almost impossible to have a two-state solution. One of the things we must acknowledge that indeed there is a lot of evidence that this is Israel's ancestral homeland. There's a lot of evidence for that. There are are hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands archaeological discoveries, places, cities, ancient artifacts that have been confirmed by archaeology that indeed this is the ancient ancestral homeland of Israel, something the Palestinians and the Arab world have not acknowledged. In fact, when you go there, they'll even go as far as to say there is no archaeology or very little supporting that this is Israel's ancestral homeland. In, for example, when you go to the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem, right now there sits two Muslim mosques, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And even though the Jews have controlled Jerusalem, they allow the Palestinians full access to the Temple Mount, and the Jews are not allowed on the Temple Mount. Now, when we're up there on the Temple Mount, repeatedly Palestinians have said there's no evidence that there ever was a Jewish temple here. No evidence whatsoever. Yet, when you look underneath the Dome of the Rock, there is a Western Wall, and now we can go under the Western Wall, and you'll see the remains of the Jewish temple that go back several thousands of years. Then you travel around the nation of Israel and you'll see all these cities mentioned in the Bible and thousands of archaeological evidence that indeed this is the Jewish homeland. So Israel does have claim that this is their ancestral homeland. Israel does have the right to exist as a nation. All sides should acknowledge that. And third, Israel does have the right to defend itself from attack. So we must put all that into consideration when dealing with the issue of the Palestinian conflict. Do the Palestinians have claim to the land? Well, I'm going to say yes. You know, they go back to the days of the third caliph, Umar, who conquered that land. So since about the 7th century AD, the Palestinians or the Arabs have been in that land and they have claim to that land. So what is the solution here when one side does not want to acknowledge the right for the other side to exist. It doesn't look like they can come up with a peaceful two-state solution. Well, that's what we're going to talk about next time here at Evidence and Answers. Who has the right to the land and what is the possible solution for this dilemma that the entire world is watching? Many have tried to propose some kind of peace between the Palestinians and the Jews, but for decades it has not been possible. Well, will it be possible in the future? What are some possible solutions? Well, that's what we'll talk about next time when we see you here at Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. 
Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and of course, your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.